One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. <laughs> he also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Good evening. Welcome back together. Uh, our, ha our outline for this evening is on page 12 of the handout. We're going to consider Ruth chapter 3. Now, we have covered some ground already today, uh, and it's been pretty heavy stuff, hasn't it? After the significant struggles of Ruth chapter 1, we're moving on, I think, now to more positive news. Chapter 2, which we haven't looked at just because I broke the passages up in this way, uh, uh, we were introduced to this man called Boaz, 
and he's shown in the text to be an all-round great guy, uh, top of the list for um, mothers for their daughters, I think. Um, if you look, actually, chapter 2, verse 4, if you can have a look there, how many of us feel like responding to our boss the way these guys do? Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you, they answered. How many of you will feel like that on Monday when your boss comes in? <laughs> Morning, guys. <laughs> chapter 2 is the account of how Ruth provides for Naomi. It's interesting, chapters 2 and 3, there's a lot of provision and protection going on. We'll see that as we go through. Um, but Ruth provides for Naomi, and Boaz protects Ruth, provision and protection. And what we find is that by the end of chapter 2, um, it's clear that in the sovereignty and kindness of God, these women are no longer empty. An important detail for the rest of the story, just 2 verse 1, chapter 2 verse 1, if you can have a look. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. That, that kind of detail uh, is the first thing that we're told off the back of the bitterness and sadness and brokenness and pain of chapter 1. And that sort of sets the, the stall for, uh, sets her stall out for the rest of the book. And Boaz, we're told, is a relative of Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's husband who had died. And by something called the Leveret Law, and you can read about that in Deuteronomy 25. Boaz has responsibility, has a responsibility to Naomi through marriage. Leveret Law made an allowance for a man's name to be continued after his death if uh, particularly there hadn't been any children born to his deceased wife and the lever would step in as a kinsman redeemer and would enable the bearing of children to his wife, normally the, the younger brother took that responsibility. The responsibility for her care and future provision would rest with the kinsman redeemer, the guardian redeemer, according to Leverett Law. Now, we already know that Naomi is past childbearing age. She made that very clear in chapter 1. And we know that Ruth is a Moabite. And that means, technically speaking, that Boaz has no direct responsibility to Ruth. Boaz doesn't owe Ruth anything. But because Ruth has identified so closely with Naomi and with, I think most specifically, with Naomi's God, chapter 1, verse 16, in that great declaration, Boaz takes her as his responsibility. He decides that he will provide for Naomi through Ruth. That's where we're headed. But, as I think we've already seen in this book, the road ahead is not smooth. It's not simple. And that's what we see here in chapter 3. It starts with Naomi wanting to provide rest. Uh, that's um, the, the language in verse 1. My daughter, in the NIV 2011, my daughter, I must find a home for you. It's literally, I must find rest for you. And then at the end of the chapter, for this man will not rest until the matter is settled today. There's this idea of rest that seems to hold the chapter together. And uh, rest here is a, a holistic concept. Um, it's used uh, in this context, it would usually be meant to, uh, to speak about marriage and the security of a home. 
That's what Naomi's intention is. Uh, but I suppose it has a bigger context as well in the Bible, and um, it could speak of the sort of security and wholeness that we have in relationship with our Creator, in, in obedience to the covenant God. So Naomi sets out wanting to provide rest, but it seems that old habits die hard. Remember, what was her problem back in chapter 1? She got ahead of God, didn't she? Her and her husband Elimelech, they set off to put things right themselves on their terms. And it looks a little bit like that's where we're starting in chapter 3. She wants to sort things out for herself. That's our first point. We see, firstly, Naomi's impatience in verses 1 to 5. Now, as soon as Ruth discloses in 2 verse 20 that Boaz is a close relative... Naomi saw an opportunity to secure the provider that these two women so desperately needed. Here was someone who could step in and fulfill the role of the Redeemer. Perhaps she saw God's hand in her situation. Maybe she saw how he was working out his good purposes. Perhaps this is a kind of key turning point in her thinking. Uh, but I think the way she goes about doing things points to there being something of a problem. She certainly was not waiting on God's timing, was she? And she adopts a strategy that I think it is fair to say is high risk, to say the least. Verse 2, tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. Uh, harvest time, what would happen typically, the crops were gathered in and the men would winnow the barley. It would be a long day's work. It would be a period of uh, intense work. And at the end, when the, when the job was finally done, when they were all finished, they would have something of a uh, winnowing party to celebrate the end of the harvest. Now, this was a men-only thing, uh, except uh, there, was a, there was a context in, where, in which women were included, and that would have been in the Canaanite context and other fertility religions. Fertility religions, uh, women would, of course, have been there, but they would have been there uh, with the children amongst us. I'm bearing in mind that they're there. They would have been there for a particular purpose. Okay? That's why women would have been there. No other reason. Men eating and drinking and celebrating, but no women, only pagans that would have been paid for their services. Now, I'm not sending my daughter into that situation. I don't care uh, what's going on. That is not somewhere I'm sending my daughter. But Naomi has other ideas. She saw this threshing floor and all that was going on there as her chance. And she gives Ruth these very specific instructions as to what to do when she arrives there. So just, she's getting prepared in a particular way, perfume, uh, washing, perfume, getting dressed in the best gear, and then heading down to the threshing floor. And when you get there, uh, don't go in at the start because we know Boaz is a righteous man. You know, he's the kind of guy that when he goes into work and he says, the Lord bless you to his employees, they're very happy to say, and the Lord bless you too. Okay, he's a righteous man. He's got a good reputation. If you go in daylight, if you go when uh, other people can see you, perhaps the guys that are sort of uh, around the doorway, they'll say, no, no, no women allowed. They'll send you away straight away. There won't be any sniff of impropriety when Boaz is there. So wait until it's dark and creep in. And then when he lies down, verse 4, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. It's really contrived, isn't it? 
She's manipulating this whole situation as best she can. And all of the secrecy in and of itself doesn't imply a wise and godly approach. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking attractive. There's nothing wrong with dressing up. There's nothing wrong with uh, uh, putting on nice clothes and all of that. But I can't help think as I read this that Naomi was putting Ruth in real moral and personal danger. What if she gets assaulted? What if Boaz is appalled by her presence there uh, when he wakens up in the night? What if she follows this plan and Boaz wakens up and is scandalized by the fact that she's there? And, um, you know, he's, he's affronted and, and uh, appalled at all of this push for his affection. He's old. She's young. What if he thinks that this is some kind of uh, uh, situation where the old 98-year-old one-eyed oil baron is married to the glamour model, you know? You can see just the deep intensity and the love in their relationship and the fact that she has thought so highly of him for so long and just loves to serve him in his needs. No. What is Naomi doing? In chapter 222, she had advised Ruth to stay in Boaz's field in order to be, uh, avoid being assaulted. She's shown concern for Ruth there, but now she's sending her to the threshing floor under the cover of darkness when people have been at the end of a long day eating and drinking. Seems like she's sending her to seduce this man, a man probably Naomi has never even met, a man that she's going on his reputation she is impatient, I think, to get the blessing of God when she wants it and not to wait on the Lord to do things in his time. And if you're anything like me, that is a very familiar problem. We get anxious about whether or not the Lord is going to provide for what we need. Uh, perhaps more specifically, we get very anxious about whether or not the Lord is going to provide what we want when we want it. And we get frustrated when we have to wait. And we pray and we pray and nothing seems to happen. And so we think to ourselves, no, I'm going to get on and sort this out myself. And it's especially difficult when we are struggling. Remember where we left Naomi at the end of the last talk. When things are tough, we often try and work things out uh, such that, well, we work out a way to get God to get on with things. And like Naomi, we can then make foolish decisions in order to make it happen. Now, what's striking is that despite the risk involved, Ruth is prepared to obey her mother-in-law. Look at verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So that promise that she made back in chapter 1, verse 16, I will go where you go, I will do what you want, I will be there for you. We're seeing it worked out. I'm going to hatch up this highly risky plan I will do whatever you say. And she walks out the door. So I get to the end of verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered, and I want to kind of look away at what might happen. But thankfully, in the kindness and sovereignty of God, Naomi's impatience is met with the kindness of a godly man. And so we see, secondly, Boaz's integrity. 
So verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor, did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. The party has come to an end. The boys are heading off to sleep, and Boaz, with a glad heart, lies down beside the grain for the night. Ruth, in her finery, silently sleeps in, slips in, under the cover of darkness, tiptoes in beside him and uncovers his feet. Can you imagine what it was like in there? Pitch dark, no electricity, no street lights, um, all of the, like, the candles and the various lights that would have been burning to illuminate the place have been blown out. So it is pitch dark. There is a smell of grain, uh, doubtless a smell of sweat, They've eaten and drunk, so there's doubtless a smell of food and drink as well, and now feet. <laughs> and so Ruth decides to lie down beside all that. I wonder, was she doubting this whole project at that point? <laughs> her future hangs in the balance. Her reputation hangs in the balance. What's going to happen to her and Naomi? We don't know. Hugely, uh, a huge amount of suspense. And then, whether as he was asleep, subconsciously he smelt the perfume or felt the cold or was aware that someone was lying close to him. You know, sometimes if you have children, you're lying, uh, you're lying asleep and somewhere in the depths of your deep level of sleep, you know that there's a face right here. <laughs> Nobody's told you they're silent, whatever it is, you just, you just know. <laughs> whatever the reason Boaz stirred, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. Verse 8, he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He said. I bet he did. <laughs> what the heck are you doing here? Now, at this point, it is not just Ruth who Naomi has put in danger because she has also potentially compromised Boaz as well, not just putting him in the way of temptation. Let's be honest. It's dark. Uh, he's in a celebratory mood. There's a nicely turned out younger lady right beside him. But also, even if he sent Ruth away at this point, if someone saw her, verse 14, he's very careful to make sure that doesn't happen. If someone saw her, his reputation would be destroyed. Remember, he is a man of integrity. The Lord bless you, and the Lord bless you. Everybody knows he is a good man. He is a man of integrity. And what would happen if uh, this lady was seen scurrying off under the cover of darkness? Do you think people would believe his side of the story? So he's startled. Who are you? I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Ruth says to him, I, I'm not here to offer my body and I'm not here to compromise you, Boaz. I'm here to propose. That's the intent of that phrase. To come under someone's wings, to come under their garment 
was to come under their care. This was the same phrase that Boaz used in chapter 2 to describe Ruth's trust in the Lord God. Ruth was asking Boaz to be her redeemer, to marry her, to provide for her, and to provide for her mother-in-law's line. And in Boaz's response, we see his abundant integrity and grace. He really is a remarkable man. And in fact, he is a man who expresses in, what, in the way he demonstrates this affection, one of the great themes of this book, loving kindness, hesed. And we see this in two ways. We see it, first of all, in his promise to protect. I said these big themes in chapter 2 and 3, protection and provision. His promise to protect. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. Ruth goes out and says, verse 5, I will do whatever you say to her mother-in-law. And she puts the proposal to Boaz and he says, I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. It's interesting. Uh, oh, that's off the point. Uh, <laughs> from this moment on in the story, we know that it's going to turn out well for Ruth and Naomi. Up to this point, the tension has been building. Their futures have been uncertain. And Naomi's risky strategy could have gone terribly wrong. But now we know that they're safe. Boaz says, don't fear. And he promises to do all that she asks. Because, like Ruth, his desire is to do what is right before the God of the covenant. He values Ruth's evident, noble character. She could have chosen a younger man. She could have restarted her life. She could have left behind the sadness and gone after a younger man. But she committed herself to Naomi. So she wants to ensure that she can marry a man who will provide Naomi with an heir. She's not simply thinking of herself. She's thinking of Naomi. She's not simply thinking of Naomi. She's thinking of the significance of the name of this family. And because of this selfless faithfulness to Naomi and to the Lord, no one in Bethlehem will be any doubt in any doubt that this Moabite woman had left her old life behind and had come to trust in the God of Israel. Beyond the perfume, beyond the attractive clothes, she was a woman who was worthy, a woman of deep godly character, and Boaz reassures her that she will be protected. So at this point we think, well, there we go. That's great news. It's time for the credits to roll on this happy ending. But there's a twist there's a potential spanner in the works, and Boaz's integrity might actually blow the whole thing up. We've been celebrating his integrity, but our hearts are saying, we want the happy ending. Don't let your integrity get in the way of a happy ending. Come on, mate. Just go for it. If she wants it, why not? It's a great idea. No. Can't let our emotion get ahead of us on this, because Boaz must keep the law. He is a man of integrity. And because the terms of the law stipulate that uh, there are levels of proximity with regards to um, leveret marriage, he realizes that there is, uh, there is actually someone better qualified than him to be a redeemer for Naomi. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer, he says, there is another who is more closely related than I. Here is a man whose integrity is such that he was willing to risk losing Ruth to someone else rather than to go against God's law. And the way that the story is told, we're, we're supposed to feel the sense that here is a 
Here is an older man of great integrity. Here is a beautiful younger woman who is, uh, who is not simply beautiful to look at, but beautiful in terms of her character because of the way she has committed herself to the God of the covenant. And yet, he won't allow anything to get in the way of God's law being honored. Here is a time when Israel said at the start, the days when the judges ruled, a time when Israel were right up to their neck in rebellion against God. And here is one man who is faithful. Here is a true Israelite. Here is a faithful son of the covenant God. So he makes a plan to do the right thing. And with Ruth's physical protection and integrity in mind, verse 13, um, if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she, she lay there until morning. Um, he, he wants her to make her escape from the threshing floor so that her integrity and his integrity are maintained. But he doesn't send her away empty-handed. And what we see here, secondly then, is his promise to provide protection and provision. Bring me the shawl you're wearing, hold it out. When she did so, he poured it into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Boaz is hugely generous. He provides not only food to eat, but a message for Naomi as well. As Ruth returns home and Naomi sees her laden down with barley, she gets the message. How did it go? She asks. How is it with you? Verse 17, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You see, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. It's not simply that he's providing for Ruth. He's providing for the family. Boaz has shown kindness and he is ready to redeem. He is ready to provide. He's ready to protect. He's ready to keep God's law. He is ready to do what is right and to be generous in doing it. Despite Naomi's impatience, God's good purpose would be worked out. Naomi thought she had returned from Moab empty, but the message from Boaz was that she would remain empty no more. God had provided a redeemer who would bring them to a place of fullness. But we get to the end of chapter three and we're in suspense. And we've got to wait till tomorrow morning to see if this other guy, well, it's, it's providential, isn't it, the way this has worked? So she's left under the cover of darkness in the night and we're going to have to wait till the morning to see if this redeemer will redeem and so it is with us except you can all read ahead in the story tonight <laughs> we're left in suspense we've got to wait until the morning to see if this other guy is going to step in and redeem these women will it be Boaz or will it be this unnamed closer relative and our author seems to draw attention to this sense of unfinished business or incompleteness at this stage uh, in chapter 3. So this, you see this in a number of ways. When Ruth tells Naomi uh, about the measures of barley, she says, literally it says, he gave me six. A number in the Bible that speaks of incompleteness. Seven is the perfect number of completion. But here she only received six. And that, I think, is to call attention to the lack. She's not yet reached the rest that bookends the chapter. Verse 1, verse 18 Rest that comes on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, seven. Also, the fact that this promise is made during the night is supposed to tell us something. Um, paraphrasing one theologian here, symbolically, the whole Old Covenant period before Christ happens during the night. Symbolically, it happens during the night. In the creation of the world, there was evening, and then there was morning. 
Then there was a first day. Evening came before morning. In the Old and New Testament, the coming of Christ into the world is portrayed as the coming of the Son, S-U-N, Son, the Son of Righteousness, who rises with healing in his wings. Christ also rises from the tomb on resurrection morning, just as the sun comes up in the morning. Everything else happens during the night. That's why Nicodemus came to Jesus during the night. The reason the text highlights the time is because Nicodemus is in the dark and Jesus has to illuminate him. In this story, the bride is going to have to wait until daytime for the marriage. If we picture the Old Testament situation, the Messiah is coming in the future, but you have to wait. There is an incompleteness about the Old Testament, and it's illustrated here. And that is where Boaz is pointing us. He is pointing us to the one who is the greater redeemer than Boaz will be. He's pointing us to one who is a faithful Israelite, a true son of the covenant God, one who would not flinch from keeping the law of God in all of its perfection, one who in great kindness and compassion provides for and protects those on whom he sets his love. Our Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, beautiful, kind, generous, and gracious, and through his life of perfect obedience, his atoning death for our sin, and his resurrection for our redemption, we have a Redeemer who has done all that is required to bring us back to the Father, and therefore to grant us forgiveness and to grant us eternal life. And so he has won for us the ultimate protection and provision that has dealt with the, our ultimate greatest poverty and assures us even in the midst of our greatest fears. Yes, we wait for the fullness of that redemption. We wait for the dawning of resurrection light. But we do possess it now. And we possess it now in, uh, in a way that Naomi and Ruth didn't wouldn't even after the end of the story because we know Christ. I don't know where I've, I've enjoyed my conversations with all of you that I've spoken to. You've been very hospitable to me, um, but I don't know your personal circumstances. I don't know where you uh, come to this weekend from in terms of your mind and your heart your life circumstances. But let me say this, if you're in, in any doubt that God will protect you, if you, whatever your circumstances, if you fear that God in some way may have bypassed you and your circumstances in his provision of grace and loving kindness, look again to Christ. And Look again to Christ with these words from Romans chapter 8 ringing in your ears. What does Romans 8 verse 1 say? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you, whatever your circumstances, echoing what we talked about in the, the second talk today. You cannot be condemned because of what Christ has done. When you are in Christ, condemnation cannot come to you. The end of that chapter, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
go back and reread the whole chapter, but those verses at the end. If God is for us and the declaration from the empty cross and the empty tomb is that he is, full stop, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Provision and protection come to us for eternity in Christ. God has put his word on it through the cross and resurrection. And Romans 8, 38, therefore Paul can say, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he can say that because Christ is our redeemer and our redemption is full and final. That's good news. That should send us out of here celebrating and rejoicing this evening. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for all that Christ has done and all that he has won for us. We thank you for a redemption that is, uh, that is free uh, to us because of the cost that was paid by him. We thank you that that means that we are provided for in terms of our sin and we are protected in terms of our, the sustaining grace that you extend to us and keeping us all the way to glory. And we pray that we might meditate on those wonderful truths and as we prepare our hearts for tomorrow where we see the end of the story and what that means in all of its fullness, we pray that you might thrill us and give us hearts that are full of joy. And we ask it in Jesus' name.